welcome back to Educate Ebony, the metal edition. I'm having fun. Hopefully you are too. I've got another great episode for you this week, but as per usual, let's recap last week. So last episode, I spoke to Axel Best and Adam Finley from Brisbane band Wild Heart. We had a good old chat. I learned a lot. Learn about octave chords, learn about gang vocals. Yeah, surprisingly simple things. I feel like I should have known that, but I didn't, but now I do. And so do you. But Adam told me to listen to Changes by For the Fallen Dreams and Axel said that Wake the Dead by Comeback Kid was the album I needed to listen to. I did. I went for a road trip to Mulaney and listened to Changes by For the Fallen Dreams. And I have to say the second half of the album, I think, is a lot better. At least that's where it kind of caught me and I started really, really getting into it. Vengeance is definitely my favorite. Man, there's something about a really rhythmic and catchy opening that I'm just hooked from the beginning. So really enjoyed that. And then Wake the Dead by Comeback Kid, hit the gym, got my gym mates, died, but it was a good time. And I reckon it took me, honestly, a couple of listens to actually get into this album. I feel like because it is so uh, constantly hard hitting, you know, the pace doesn't really slow down. It just kind of lost me for a little bit because I'd tune it out. The title track, Wake the Dead, was definitely, definitely a favorite. It was so good. And then I think once I sort of realized that you have to tune in to each individual song. Yeah, good album. Not my favorite, but good. And I did check out Comeback Kids cover of Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. Damn, that's actually really, really good. Definitely check that out. If you do nothing else, go check out that cover. It's well worth it. And if you want to see what I did get up to in my listening notes, you can head to my socials, which is at Educate Ebony on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you are listening on some sort of cool streaming service where you can leave a review, feel free. I'm not going to tell you what to, what to rate it, but you do you. It would be much appreciated. Thank you. But let's move on and kickstart this episode. Okay. On this episode of Educate Ebony, the metal edition, I would love to introduce Andy Marsh. He is the guitarist of Australia's heavyweight deathcore band Thyatis Murder. You may have heard of them. Uh, And he doesn't only just shred heavy tunes for that band, but he is their manager, songwriter, social media manager as well. And he also runs a label called Human Warfare, where he nurtures the next generation of upcoming heavy bands. And he also runs a management business called Graphic Nature. So I think we're lucky to have the busiest man in metal on the podcast. Andy, welcome. It's so, so cool to be able to chat with you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. You forgot the, the merch company, Merch Warfare oh, no, too. Oh Merch Warfare. Oh no, no. How do, you, how do you live? Do you sleep enough? Um, eight hours? No, like three to four hours a night. Are you s- on average, yeah. No. Probably from like three or four in the morning till about 7am. No. On the weekends I sleep about eight hours. Oh my gosh. How do you, I don't even know how you do that. Just drink lots of coffee. I don't know. I think if you enjoy, you know, there's that saying, like if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Work doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like I'm, I don't know if it matters to other people, but it feels to me like I'm making a difference. So it's very easy to keep doing stuff. And also that being said, like I'm not working all day. I'll (laughs) go out and have lunch and do stuff. But yeah, I get very inspired first thing in the morning and usually last thing at night. So I like to kind of tidy up for the next day. And then when I get up, I like to kind of crush those things and the rest of the day kind of just sit around and do nothing. That's really nice. Yeah. Break it up. It's not nine to five. It's like seven to 11. Yeah. It's, it's like four hours of power, like when I wake <laughs> up and right before I go to bed. So it's like an eight hour day with like a big gap for stuff in the middle. That's a new way of living. Yeah. I think everyone should do it. Yeah. Not, not the four, four day weekday. No, we'll just go 
a huge siesta in the middle. Yeah, yeah, big, yeah. big siesta. Very Spanish influence over here. So that's uh, that's me, and uh, <laughs> you know, probably generally in, in the middle of the afternoon is when I'll start playing guitar and thinking about maybe I should write some die art tunes. There's not a lot of structure to my day, aside from how I begin it and end it, and I, I enjoy that flexibility, so I'm very lucky to have it. That's so nice. Well, we are here for you to tell me, for you to educate me on the one metal album that you think I should hear. I know it's a big ask, but I'm going to ask you to tell me anyway. Yes, I did have a think about this, and it was pretty difficult. I didn't want to cover stuff that you'd already covered on the podcast, like not specifically records or artists, but like genres and time periods, and so... I have come to a 2006 masterpiece, which was released 15 years ago this week. Ooh. Bury Your Dad's Beauty in the Breakdown, the epitome of, uh, of mosh. <laughs> do you want to write that down? Yeah, so I do. <laughs> Beauty in the Breakdown, all the song titles are named after like bits and bobs out of Beauty and the Beast. That's really cool. What, so all the, all the song names are from like Disney? Yeah. Like what? Give me an example. I don't know. Oh, let me go on to Spotify now. Have a look. Glass Slipper, Poison Apple, 12 Strike oh. Midnight. Let Down Your Hair. <laughs> Second Star of the Right, The Enchanted Rose, House of Brick, so on and so forth. It sounds very pretty, but I imagine it's not a pretty... Oh, it's a metal album, so it's not... It kind of has its pretty moments. Um, Mid-2000s metalcore, there's not like... I don't want to say there was genre hopping, but it was experimental. People were pushing those boundaries for the first time and... And particularly bands from Massachusetts somehow were just ahead of the game. You think On Broken Wings was a super pioneering band. Bury Dead, Killswitch Engage. Um, that other band with the singer with the long dreadlocks. I forget. I'm not the person to ask. <laughs> oh, they were really good as well. But, you know, On Broken Wings definitely had like the keyboards and samples and they would dabble with singing. Whereas Bury Dead definitely had melodic moments, but it was pushing like this very hard mosh agenda and it was like for me it was the pinnacle of metal production at the time and it holds up to this day unbelievably heavy the songwriting is world class the vocal performance is world class and it's not overproduced or over engineered like it's a record that i think really is timeless aside from like the genre style and whatnot but it just it sounds great now and competes with modern records. It sounded ahead of the curve at the time. And I think it's kind of going to remain competitive sonically and musically for a very long time in the heavy space. Okay, so when did you first hear it? About 15 years ago. That's yeah. <laughs> how old I am. <laughs> Where were you? What were you doing? How did you find these guys? Um, I was going to uni at UQ up here in Brisbane and... I uh, started going to local shows. I think one of my first local shows was Amity in Parkway, maybe Evergreen Terrace or something, or Alexis on Fire. I'd, I would hang out this, not hang out at, I'd go to these music stores in Brisbane, Skinnies and Rocking Horse with a few of my mates that I knew from this town I grew up in and pick up CDs and they'd show me stuff, I'd show them stuff. We didn't have iTunes, Apple Music, <laughs> so it was a lot of CD sharing, burning CDs, making mixtapes. I had a... 97 Commodore that had a tape player cool. so there were no CDs so <laughs> I had to like make tapes and I have tapes of all these bands and you know back then makes me sound like I'm ancient really we would have to like write down the track list because it might be a different band for a different song 
But also you couldn't just skip to a track. So you couldn't go, hang on, hang on, hang on. What was that band? You'd have to go back to the beginning of the tape and go, okay, first song, this is track one on the tape. Where's that song? Kind of fast forward through and go, oh, track three, bury your dead. This is insane. And that's kind of how we came across music, my friends and I. Yeah. It was just through sharing tapes, CDs. And I had this one friend, like an older hardcore dude, he was two or three years older than us, and he'd always be getting... He was on a big Boston metalcore kick, super, super ahead of it. I don't know how he was onto it. This is before MySpace. This is before <laughs> Facebook. This is before anything. I don't know if he had like a mail-out catalogue or whatever, but he always knew the best new bands before anyone knew about them in Australia. And so we just kind of get clued into stuff from him and get onto these bands pretty early. Right. I mean, I feel like it's hard to discover, well, I can't speak for it, but, you know, discovering bands back before the internet, that's like a lot of research and a lot of talking to people and like networking and just going to local shows. For sure. I think it's reflective in the scene. I mean, I'm not saying that it's only a positive and not a negative or has no negative connotations or that the modern scene has uh, negative consequences as a result of not having that interconnectivity, but it definitely had its bonuses. You know, there was there was certainly more of this meritocracy and individualism. Even though we ended up liking a lot of the same bands, it wasn't like you were being marketed through social media yeah. or through TV because a lot of these bands weren't big enough to get on MTV or Channel V or whatever we had here. So you would get your mixtape or your mix CD. You never heard these bands before and you go, I like that one. Now I like this band. <laughs> it, the, you didn't even know what they looked like. You didn't know where they were from. You didn't know anything about them. You just knew that you liked the music. And I did enjoy that element of it. Whereas now it's like, oh, they look funny or they look like a band that I wouldn't like. And it can close people off to a lot of opportunities because of aesthetic or because of ethnicity, you know. So very nice time to be growing up and consuming music. As Much we more did. innocent time. Yeah, for sure. Very innocent. No algorithms. <laughs> oh, well, you've already said this album is basically a masterpiece. It is. When did you realize it was a masterpiece? As you like got further into music and you're like, oh, that album. Immediately. Immediately we knew it was the best thing that we had heard for that genre. But every year that I listen to it more, the more it continues to prove itself. You know, you might like something when you're younger and you might not understand why you like it. And as you acquire various techniques, skills, experiences that would contribute to make a piece of art like that, the more you can respect it for what it is and how hard or how lucky. You know, as a songwriter, you aim to make songs, but what comes out of your brain might just be this on a particular day. So there is an element of luck to what your brain will produce or accept from the universe and turn into music. These guys were definitely skilled performers, very skilled songwriters. Luck was on their side that the most amazing ideas came out that, you know, I don't think had been explored. They were very dynamic guitar players and the drummer particularly very rhythmic bass. So you've got like almost very basic meshuggery patterns. If this predates a mule, this predates like everything <laughs> crazy, you know, <laughs> where people say, oh, it's watered down meshuggery. But every year you go, oh, wow. That riff is like a riff that Periphery would do or like Killswitch Engage would do or like Thy Art would do or In Hearts or North Lane. You hear these melodic moments. You go, these guys were kind of touching on all of that without getting distracted by it and feeling the need to explore all those avenues. 
like I was saying, it's a mosh record. It's very focused. That's part of its charm. Like Hatebreed with singing or something weird, like really melodic singing, would take away from what it is. They know their lane the same way that we know our lane, but they incorporated those elements in a way that complemented the style. And that's, as I've grown as a songwriter and as a performer and stuff over the last 15 years, every time I go back to that record, I'm just like, how? <laughs> how did they do it? <laughs> how? And, the, and they got like the perfect production team. These two friends of mine from America, Jason Sukoff and Mark Lewis, produced the record in like a week. He <laughs> 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 just like... So they had to be great players. They had these great engineers who just got the best sounds by skill and by luck. You know, there's always a bit of luck. And they made this record that is still one of my favorites. Wow. Did that like luck continue through their career? Or is this just the one album that was like, whoa, and then everything else, I don't know, their brains sort of caught up with what they were doing? No, I've enjoyed everything that they've done. But, you know, and I, I would never... Because I am an artist, artists kind of don't like that whole fan thing. Like, everything they did since that album sucks. It's like, (laughs) you know what? Sometimes you just make cool stuff and you go, damn, that was really good. Now I've got to make new stuff. And I'm there for that. I'm I'm there to see what an artist will do, where they'll go. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it goes down. Sometimes it goes sideways for five years and then comes out a million times better. Like, Another thing that I liked about the music industry back in the day was artists had an opportunity to kind of develop over time. Now everyone wants like a new record every year and they want crazy shows and they want stuff on the radio tomorrow. Yeah. And it, it does cut a lot of corners in an artist's time to kind of maybe just sit down and not do anything for a month and think of the next idea rather than being forced to make one. But anyway, they did, <laughs> they did explore a lot more avenues and more melody the the singer matt brusso eventually left the band i think to become a math teacher or something like oh, that Oh, that's way less cool yeah crazy super nice guy but like just bailed out i guess and and you know metalcore america not a lot of money in it so you can understand people kind of going to their day jobs and, and whatnot but they got this new singer this other friend of mine mike terry who's this black American guy, and, and I think it's important to have, like, you know, we don't see enough people of color in, in particularly in my subgenre, obviously, like rap and hip hop and mm. stuff, it's, it's dominated. But in metal, some of the, the best performers and vocalists have been people of color. And um, to have him in the mosh, and you had Howard Jones at Killswitch Engage, and now bringing it up to 2021, you've got. Um, that kid in Brand of Sacrifice who's an absolute beast. It was cool to have Barry Dead have this guy with a real croony, soulful voice that was singing. So they incorporated that into the sound. Very big fan of that also. There's a track, Fever Dream, everyone should check out. You should check it out. One time Lee Stanton and I, people might know him as the former drummer of Thyatta's Murder. We love the song. So we were like, this is the best song. I mean, it's not on Beauty and the Breakdown, but it's one of the best songs I've ever heard. And we were driving on a tour to Sydney and we said, we're only allowed to listen to this song until we get to Sydney. <laughs> so we drove for like 12 hours and listened to the song on repeat nonstop. And then wow. Lee got Fever Dream tattooed underneath his chin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we did remain fans and well, I certainly remained a fan. They, the band did grow, but in terms of, they grew, but they grew out of the genre almost. Like they're still the kings of mosh, in my opinion, but... It wasn't the same kind of energy, pure, like, unbridled aggression, non-stop that Beauty and the Breakdown was for me. 
Holy moly, it sounds like a huge album. It's pretty good. You should definitely check it out. You should definitely <laughs> like, if you like walking or running or exercising, you should definitely put it on. So those are, those are my listening notes. That's how I need to listen to the album. Yeah, yeah. It's sort it's of fast-paced. High, Can you exercise? high energy. Can make me do cardio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I should probably start running and listening to it again. But <laughs> I'll run. I'll do it. I'll walk. I won't promise to run the entire way or for the entire album because that's a bit long. It's not, it's not that long. It's probably 40 minutes or something. I don't think I can run for that long. <laughs> I can't run for four minutes, so. <laughs> that's okay. We'll work on it. I'll work up to it. Well, especially, you know, as someone who's really big in the music industry and um, songwriting and everything like that, is there an aspect of this album that you notice that like a regular listener like myself probably wouldn't? Yeah, it's just um, everyone aspires to make songs that are effortless to make and effortless to listen to. And not that some music, uh, you know, between the Barrier to Me or Dream Theater or Meshuggah does require some kind of effort for a lot of people to digest because of the time signatures or the aggression or the technicality. It's a lot to take in. But once you can get to that level of like, I guess, like reading proficiency, but like music <laughs> listening proficiency, yeah. everything kind of makes sense eventually. And you kind of get to this comprehension of what the artist was trying to do. You're always trying to get to that point in songwriting where and sometimes it becomes easier as you, you get better at songwriting and sometimes it doesn't. But you want the song to kind of make sense and guide the listener. And when you get to this part, it's the best that that part could be. You know, there's, there's this saying like a note played now and a note played after 40 seconds of silence, they sound different, even though it's the same note because you waited. And so you're trying to maximize the impact of every change, whether it's the verse or when the chorus hits or particularly with Bury Your Dead when the breakdown comes this tension and release and obviously the breakdown is the release in hardcore and, and mosh and to a, a great extent what we do they were just masters of it and people might underappreciate that and I would say to them go and find some other mosh records or even maybe listen to more primitive Bury Your Dead I think the, the previous record was called Cover Your Tracks and that had like all Tom Cruise movie titles as the song titles. Oh, wow. <laughs> like Magnolia and Vanilla Sky and Mission Impossible were the names of the songs. That's cool. <laughs> but like even maybe go back to a more primitive version of the same band and listen to it and listen to how you get led to where you end up. You go, ah, oh, I see. Like it's just very subtle things. Maybe the, they switch from a hi-hat to a different cymbal. Maybe the guitar starts playing twice as fast or half as fast. The drums change the pattern and you just like, it's so gentle and subtle and it takes you exactly to where you need to be at every point in the song. And that's something I definitely aspire to. <laughs> and they were masters of it. Right. I think that leads to like the track listing as well then, because if it's a heavy, such a heavy record, you can't just have heaviness after heaviness after heaviness. How do they... You like, can. Make it- <laughs> <laughs> they did. <laughs> oh, they did? Okay, you can. <laughs> no, but I understand completely what you're saying. And, and this is something that, for better or worse, we've had to adapt to with Spotify and iTunes because of algorithms and people playing generally. If they get on a playlist or if they get directed to your record, you get the first three songs. And you want to make it the singles, but the singles might not make sense to go back to back at the start of the album, but you kind of have to do it anyway. This is a thing that not a lot of people take into consideration or aware of if you land on my spotify page and we've got deeper cuts ballads you know well, like deathcore ballads 
you might kind of get distracted. Maybe you're in a high energy mode. You want to capture people with the singles. And back then, because it was a CD and it wasn't just a playlist, you had a lot more flexibility to craft the sequence of your record and the track listing. So they definitely, when they want to get you with like the follow-up, like one-two punch, it's right there. But the intros and the outros of the songs make a lot of sense. And also their tempo control, you know, that a lot of bands play in a very similar tempo, us included. You know, we played about 140 BPM for 90% of our catalogue. Whereas they, because it's mosh, there was a lot more tempo fluctuation. And also what they would do is do like kind of conflicting grooves from song to song. So it didn't sound, even though it's a mosh record and people might say, oh, mosh all sounds the same. It's like track to track, you're getting different rhythms and different feels and different vibes. And it does really keep the record going. Like (laughs) I challenge anyone basically that loves heavy music to put it on and go, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> even if you don't like it, it's undeniable. It's catchy, it's good, and the songwriting's impeccable, so. Wow. I learned from um, Jesse and JT from Era when I spoke to them earlier. There are, like, bands bands. Is this a bands band? Because you are in a band, but is this also for the people in the crowd? It seems like it could be both. There are bands bands for sure, you know, um, and often we kind of decide that i mean there's no official list of who's in a band's band (laughs) but you go on tour and you just see bands that might not be popular it doesn't mean the music isn't good and doesn't mean they're not absolute killers live i've been lucky enough to see bury dead live on the 10-year anniversary tour of beauty and the breakdown in fort worth texas and they're an insane live band like they're all killer performers killer musicians but also because of the songwriting and you know, this is another component of bands, bands, if we want to talk about the, the, the term. <laughs> like, because we're all songwriters, we pick up, I, I assume, I'm guessing, I don't want to say like we're smarter song listeners than the normal person. <laughs> People can like whatever they like. But because we're in tune with what goes into writing a song, producing a record, like the technical and sonic component as well, and the time relevancy, you know, that a lot of bands make fantastic records two years too early and they beat the trend or they come two years too late and the album is flawless but it just missed peak of like the mania in the public Buried Dead is definitely like for me and a lot of people in my wheelhouse of you know death metal deathcore um, hardcore Buried Dead I would say is definitely like considered a band's band (laughs) okay (laughs) they they set the tempo you know I feel like they set the benchmark for where we tried to go even though we don't sound like them, in terms of the songwriting and capitalising on heavy moments. Yeah. Okay. Is there a song that like really inspired you? Because you would have heard this, what, 15 years ago-ish? Nah, just just the whole album. And like because they're all just names of weird bits from different movies and stuff, I never really committed. The only song I committed to memory was Magnolia, which was off of Covier Tracks, which played on this melodic and heavy dynamic really, really well. But Beauty and the Breakdown really is more about like it as an entire musical piece. And there's this, I don't know if I can say the F word, but like yeah, there's yeah. one <laughs> one part of one song where he says fuck, but it's like, I mean, this predates like modern music technology to an extent as well. Like he says it, but they put like heaps of reverb on it and then reversed it. So it like fades in for five seconds. And uh, back then it was hard to pull off production tricks like that. Like everyone has the reverse snares in metalcore these days. It was like a lot trickier to do that back then. 
so to hear like little elements like that on the vocal production it was like it got you pretty excited because you know particularly like domestically not a lot of bands had fantastic production in australia so to hear something so polished it would definitely get you really amped that's really cool so like for what a young person not necessarily me maybe there's like a a young person getting in a band or like learning music and doing stuff if they listen to this, would they they would still think it's relevant to this year? Because I know you said you think it is. It still stands up. But if someone young, it's not for me to, to decide what's relevant. But if I could control what was relevant, <laughs> I would make sure that every person that played in a mosh band these days listened to that record. <laughs> because a lot of them, you know, and this is not any throwing any shade at younger artists, because I love a lot of the music coming out nowadays. You listen to the music and you're like, have you ever heard of this band? They're like, no. I'm like, but you're doing what they did 15 or 20 years ago. And in an extent, like we also do that. You know, there's that saying, you stand on the shoulders of giants. But to make sure you're aware of like, you know, the the history, I guess, of your subgenre. <laughs> and, and even if you don't care, like at least be aware of it and know where you're coming from. And also go back and pick up heaps of inspiration because everyone's forgotten about them, so you can rip them off (laughs) heaps, you know. (laughs) But yeah, I think anyone that plays heavy music would have something to gain, if they haven't heard this record, gain from it in terms of the the execution, like rhythmic control, like I was saying, and and songwriting. And just the fun titles. Yeah, and it's just a fun album. Like, it's not hard to listen to. It really takes you through and you just like every bit is almost better than the last thing. Like, how is this even possible? And even if you played a totally different genre of music, if you could appreciate heavy music, at least you'd, you'd get an idea of like what you can achieve when you have total control over your craft and deliver something that's so effective. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty nerdy about Mosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a good album. Like, I, I don't know. I've been able to intellectualize a lot of things that influenced me when I was younger as I've become older. But pretty much when I was 20 and hearing that, it was just fucking sick. <laughs> That's all there was. You pull your car up at your friend's house, you blast it on the stereo, you drink some beers and think, maybe one day we can be in a band like this. They also had this great DVD that came with one of their records 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And they were playing at this venue, Chain Reaction, in Orange County. And the like second or third song in, maybe it was even the first song, like the guitar player tries to do like this guitar swing and splits the singer's head like oh, no. wide open. They just keep playing the show. <laughs> and then there's these behind the scenes of him in the hospital getting his head like irrigated and stitched up. And that's an- another thing you're just like, damn, these guys are the real deal. Like they're crazy. The music's sick. And, you know, it's good to have an element of that, I think. Like a personality intensity that matches the music. Yeah. I'm pretty boring. It's it's not the same. CJ's crazy. It suits the band. <laughs> Bury your dead. Had it all going on, you know. Okay. And since it is a mosh album, as you said, um, what's the one mosh move you should do? <laughs> I don't know the exact names, but you know. The mosh move. More, more than just headbanging. Everyone can do that. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lexicon of moves stored in my <laughs> brain. Just um, spin some arms. Yeah, I don't know. Just get in the pit and do whatever it is that you do. <laughs> I'm a per- so I play the music that people do that to. It's not for me, it's not for me to decide. Like, so. I'm not in the crowd. 
No, I'm on, I'm no. on the side of the crowd. I'm just a, I'm a, a spectator. And I suppose you could say an instigator, but it's not up for me to do the moves. It has been so long since we've moshed, so yeah. I understand. Yeah, totally forgotten art. It's good. <laughs> when we play like a show again, it's going to be interesting to see like what kind of potato moves are going, <laughs> going on in the crowd. Oh, is the wall of death going to be moving fast or slow? Because everyone's, nah, everyone's going to be overweight and depressed. <laughs> They'll just kind of lay down and go, oh God, it's over, <laughs> we hope. Yeah, just the whole, like, what, a few hours on your feet. It's just, I can't handle it the way I used to. Definitely definitely not after this, this year off. All, all gig fitness is off the cards. So. Gig fitness. Yeah. We'll host a class, you know. Before your support band, when you guys play next, it'll just be like, all right, so we're limbering up. Uh, see the moshing. Yeah, we have a shot of Jameson and drink a beer. That's the warm-up secret. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> Suggest you probably do the same. Oh, amazing. All right, well, there we have it. The one metal album that Andy Marsh thinks that you and I should listen to is Beauty and the Breakdown by Bury Your Dead. Andy, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Very welcome. Go and enjoy it. They're like, what, um, game changers. What's the other word for it? I don't you, know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean... I'm, I'm supposed to be the writer. <laughs> I know yeah. the words. <laughs> 